The Mueller investigation heats up again. Omarosa promises shocking tapes and Democrats prepare for election 2018. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, so many things to get to today. All of them irritating and foolish. Don't worry, we'll get through it together. But first, I want to remind you that you are not the average investor, so you shouldn't invest like the average investor. You should be attempting to outsmart average. You should be attempting to do better than the average investor. And that is why you need Betterment. Betterment is the better way, the smarter way to manage your money. It's an investment tool for those who refuse to settle for average investing. It's cutting edge technology combined with human expertise. It's technology that is designed to give you more from your investments. It's unlimited expert advice designed to help you make smart financial decisions, tax-efficient investing strategies that give you an edge, low transparent fees, constant access to information and tools that allow you to track progress toward your goals so you can always feel like a smart, savvy investor. It's basically an online financial advisor. You know, I'm somebody who uses a financial advisor because I don't have time to keep track of my own money. I'm not the person who's going to be sifting through all the stock reports. What you need is somebody to help you do that, and that is where Betterment comes in. Betterment gives you technology that allows you the transparency to see where your money is. It allows you all this information. It allows you up-to-date information that's available to you all the time and low transparent fees. So it's not like you're getting charged on a per-trade basis, for example. Betterment, you have to outsmart average. And the best way to do that is by signing up today and getting up to one year managed for free. Go check it out right now at betterment.com Shapiro. That's betterment.com Shapiro. Again, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T, betterment.com slash Shapiro. Use that slash Shapiro to let them know we sent you. Plus, you can get up to one year managed for free. So go check it out right now. Get investing, get smart with your cash, outsmart average, betterment.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so Omarosa. So Omarosa has long been known as one of the most solid citizens in our country, right? She's long been known as a person that you would trust with your life if you were suicidal. She's long been known as somebody who you would certainly believe were she to make any and every claim. At least that's how the media are treating her these days. So the media that hated Omarosa up until, let's see, 37 seconds ago, now they think that she has tons of credibility to speak about who President Trump is. So the lady who on tape two years ago was saying everyone would be forced to bow before President Trump. That is not a paraphrase. That is a direct quote. She said that people would be forced to kneel before Zod. Right? That lady now is saying that she is sorry she was ever part of the Zod regime. And she feels quite terrible that she flew with Zod out of the out of the out of the mirror forbidden zone, and now she is she is very sorry and wishes abjectly to beg apology of you and to remind you that President Trump is in fact a vicious and brutal racist. So she says that she has all sorts of Trump tapes, and she now says that she, there is a a production staff member on The Apprentice who wants to drop tapes of President Trump using the N word. Now, if this sounds like deja vu, that's because it is. We had this exact discussion back in 2016. There were rumors that. There were tapes from the set of The Apprentice where Donald Trump was using the N-word, and none of those ever came forth. There's a lot of talk about whether Mark Burnett, who is the producer of The Apprentice, was hiding those tapes, or whether he was just friends with Trump and didn't want those tapes to get out. Well, now Omarosa is resurfacing those rumors, and she says that there is indeed a staff member who wants to wait till October to drop those tapes. If those tapes were to drop, it obviously would be a major problem for the president, not because I think his base of support would dissipate. I think people who are loyal to Trump are loyal to Trump through thick and thin, but because all of the stuff that people have said is racially charged would suddenly look very different if the president habitually uses the N-word, right? If the president habitually uses racist slurs, then all the stuff that feels racially charged or racially tinged suddenly shifts over into the category of probably racist. But is that tape out there? Well, there's no evidence that tape actually is out there. Nonetheless, Omarosa is pushing this. And Chris Matthews, you're on a hardball. He's very eager to hear about it. Come in the morning. Come in the show. Roll on in here. Talk about racism with Omarosa by hate. But now I love her because she's saying bad stuff about Trump. Chris Matthews, I'm a Russ. Go. I believe that they're using it for politically motivated things. In fact, they may. Before November? Before November. I know. And uh, they saw it on the, took it on themselves to actually document this so that they could actually mm. expose him for the racist that he is. OK, so now Omarosa says that he's a racist. So she was out there the entire campaign talking about what a non-racist Trump was. She gets fired because she's a terrible employee. And then she leaves the White House and suddenly Trump is a racist. If this feels a little bit as though she is turning and wheeling on Trump because she's mad at him, that's because that's exactly what this is. So President Trump is in his own inimitable fashion, takes to Twitter to respond because this is the reality show we all bargained for. OK, let's be real about this. This is what you wanted to see, was it not? When you turned in to The Apprentice, this is what you wanted to see. You are getting the show that you took that remote control and decided to TiVo. And now you're getting to enjoy it. 
Break out the popcorn, break out the jelly beans, because this is how it's going to go from here till the end of the administration. President Trump tweets out this. Mark Burnett TV called to say there are no tapes of The Apprentice where I use such a terrible and disgusting word as attributed by wacky and deranged Amorosa. So I like that every day now, actually, her, her nickname expands. So she started off as wacky Amorosa. She's now wacky and deranged Amorosa. Tomorrow it will be wacky, deranged, and insane Amorosa. So it, she's sort of like an Austrian prince. She just adds names as time continues. Just, so Trump continues, I don't have that word in my vocabulary and never had. She made it up. Look at her many recent quotes saying such wonderful and powerful things about me, a true champion of civil rights until she got fired. Omarosa had zero credibility with the media. They didn't want interviews when she worked in the White House. Now that she says bad about me, they will talk to her. Fake news. Here's the thing. Trump's actually right about this, obviously. The media hated Omarosa. They thought that it was a joke she was in the White House because it was a joke that she was in the White House because she never should have been hired because the president didn't hire all the best people. He hired Omarosa. Of all the people in the United States, he went to hire Omarosa. But when he says that the media are treating Omarosa with a strange new respect, that, of course, is 100% true. Then he says, when you give a crazed, crying lowlife a break and give her a job at the White House, I guess it just didn't work out. Good work by General Kelly for firing, quickly firing that dog. Okay, so, <laughs> so people today are saying, oh, it's racist. Racist that Trump would call her a dog, right? He calls her a crazed, crying lowlife and he says he gave her a break. I liked it. For President Trump, every time he hires somebody, it's that he gave them their big break in life. It's a, uh, out of the charity of his heart, he hired Omarosa because he's such a charitable fellow, President Trump. That's, that's what he does. He's just such a nice guy. Okay, but the idea that he's a racist because he called Omarosa a dog is just silly. Here is a mere smattering of the people he has called a dog in the past on Twitter alone. Okay, and it's always in the same context. He loves the phrase, fired like a dog, which begs the question, how many dogs has he actually fired? Because that's weird. Like, do you fire a dog? Are dogs known for being fired? It's a strange turn of phrase, but the president has said this many, many times. So here is what he said about David Gregory, formerly of NBC. David Gregory got thrown off of TV by NBC, fired like a dog. Now he's on CNN being nasty to me. Not nice, exclamation point. Mitt Romney had his chance to beat a failed president, but he choked like a dog. I don't know what he has against dogs. Like, I'm not a dog person, but he needs to go over to like Puppy Spot or something and really get to know some dogs because he's kind of mean. And he says, little McMiller, I'm now going to teach you a big boy lesson about lawsuits and finance. You ungrateful dog. And then he says about sloppy Steve Bannon. This is my favorite because I don't like Steve Bannon. He's a jerk. He says, now sloppy Steve has been dumped like a dog by almost everyone. And then there's Bill Maher, fired like a dog. And then there's Ariana Huffington. She is a dog who wrongfully comments on me. And then there's Reverend Wright and Barack Obama. He says that Reverend Wright was dumped like a dog. And then there's Eric Erickson, who is fired like a dog. And then there's Reverend Wright, who was also, again, dumped like a dog. And then there was Glenn Beck, who was fired like a dog. And then there was David Axelrod, who was a dog. And then there was George Will, who was thrown off ABC like a dog. And then there was Chuck Todd, who was not quite fired like a dog, but Trump thought he was going to be fired like a dog. And there was Brent Bozell, who came to his office begging for money like a dog. And then there was Eric Erickson, again, fired like a dog. And then Mubarak, who was dropped like a dog. There was Ted Cruz, who scapegoated his capable director of communications, fired like a dog. <laughs> and finally, the best one of all is, of course, this. This is a classic of the genre, fired like a dog. I mean, it's, it's a whole genre, right? If, if, if blockbuster videos still existed, there would actually be a full section of dog references by President Trump. Be like, fired like a dog one, fired like a dog two, the revenge. Okay, so he tweeted, this is, this is, of course, the best one. This is from October 17th, 2012. Robert Pattinson should not take back Kristen Stewart. She cheated on him like a dog and would do it again. Just watch. He can do much better. So before we jump to he's a racist, we might want to say he's a speciesist. He doesn't like dogs. He's very, very mean to dogs. You thought Mitt Romney was mean to dogs when he put a dog on top of his car and drove around and all that stuff? President Trump, every time he has something bad to say about a person, he likens that person to a dog. So there's that. But I love that the media are treating it. He called Omarosa to, oh, he's a racist because she's a black woman. That's why he calls her a dog. No, he called her a dog because he doesn't like her. And for some reason, he's got this phrase stuck in his head. One of the, one of the funny things about you know, delving into Trump's Twitter is whenever you think that he's tweeted something that is brand new, as soon as you delve into his past, you realize that he has said it 1,000 times before. We've had this sort of thing with President Trump before. So I remember when he did this thing where 
He mocked Sergei Kovalevsky, who was a, a columnist for the New York Times. And you remember, he did these hand motions that made it look like he was mocking a disabled reporter. And this became a, a, a statement repeatedly that he was mocking the disabled reporter, not just mocking the disabled reporter, but mocking him for the disability. Right? The idea is that he was doing it because he knew Kovalevsky was disabled. And so he started doing his hands uh, in, in sort of a curled up fashion in order to mock Kovalevsky's dis disability. And then it turns out that if you go back through his tapes of him mocking people, he's constantly doing these weird hand motion every time he refers to somebody he doesn't like. So is he mocking the reporter? Yes. Was he doing it for the disability? No. The truth is that one of the reasons people give Trump a lot of leeway on him being a jerk is because he's a jerk to everybody. <laughs> like there's, well, I, I'm, I'm surprised that we're still fighting this fight. Like he, He's constantly a jerk to most every... Pre the president has two categories in life in the, when it comes to the people he deals with. Either they're wonderful people who say great things about me, and therefore deserve jobs at the White House no matter how bad they are at their job, or they should be fired like a dog because they're the worst people in the world, right? And everything breaks down into these two categories. It's not that the president has any 40 MAGA plan. Like when he's nice to Putin, he's not nice to Putin because Putin and Trump were on the phone late at night making sweet love to one another. It wasn't that. It's that Putin has said in the past, you're very strong man, President Trump. And then Trump's like, I like that guy. That's great. And then the minute that Putin does something Trump doesn't like, he should be fired like a dog. That's, that's really, it's, it's, those are the only two polls for President Trump. Okay, and that's, that is what it is. Like, is it my favorite thing? No. But are we getting exactly what we bargained for? Of course we're getting exactly what we bargained for. Okay, but the media are responding to all of this with the predictable outrage that you knew that they would. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that you have credit card bills. Let's talk about the fact you have some outstanding costs that you want to pay, or you want to do some construction on your house. Bottom line is, you need some sort of swing loan. And with Lending Club, you can do all this stuff. You can so consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed-rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high-interest credit cards. All you do is go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself, how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right for you. If you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. So go check it out right now. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer -peer lending platform, over $35 billion in loans issued. All you have to do is go to LendingClub.com slash Ben. That's LendingClub.com slash Ben. You can check your rate in minutes. You can borrow up to 40 grand. That is LendingClub.com slash Ben. Again, LendingClub.com slash Ben. All loans made by WebBank member FDIC, equal housing lender. There's no reason for you to have these high interest credit cards. Just keep racking up that debt. Instead, you should go over to Lending Club, check out your options. And again, it's a very easy process. I've checked it out myself. LendingClub.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. Borrow up to 40 grand. Check your rates in minutes. LendingClub.com slash Ben. Go check that out. All right. So nonetheless, Amarosa continues to say that she has the goods on President Trump. Unfortunately, she actually had a little pen bomb. So she apparently had a little pen that had in it a recording device. Okay, this is the latest accusation. How was she recording this stuff? She wasn't using her phone, is the accusation by Ashara Lee over at uh, over on twitters.com. He's a reporter, and he suggests that she was carrying around a pen that recorded things. The great irony of this, of course, is that, as you recall, back during the 2016 election, Corey Lewandowski grabbed a reporter named Michelle Fields because she might have had a little pen bomb. It turns out that the pen bomb was actually a pen recording device, and it was carried James Bond-like by Omarosa into the West Wing because everything is stupid. Because all the... You see this pen? You never know. You never know, gang, what's in this pen. In any case, she claims that she has Trump on tape doing all sorts of terrible things. Here is the most damning material. This is... She gave the tape to CBS. Apparently, she was talking with Katrina Pearson, who was a once and future member of the Trump team. Uh, and Katrina... She was talking about the supposed N-word tape that was floating around the offices of The Apprentice or some such. And here is Omarosa talking with Katrina Pearson because our long national nightmare of people who shouldn't be on TV never ends. Here we go. Said, well, sir, can you think of any time that this might have happened? And he said no. Well, that's not you know, true. How do you so... think, he goes, how do you think I should handle it? And I told him exactly what you just said, Omarosa, which is, well, it depends on what scenario you're talking about. And he said, well, why don't you just go ahead and put it to bed? I he don't know it. what the scandal is. <laughs> no, he said it. He's embarrassed. Okay, so that's Katrina Pearson at the very end saying he said it. He said the N-word, and he is embarrassed. Okay, well, we don't actually have evidence that any of this was said. When the evidence comes out, then we'll have to talk about the implications for the administration. We'll have to talk about the implications for future electoral prospects. The, the kind of national implications of having a president who has used the N-word in the last 10 years, if that ends up being a thing that actually happened. But... If the best that Omarosa can do is come up with a comment from Katrina Pearson, that's going to be 
pretty weak sauce. That's that's pretty weak sauce. Remember, Katrina Pearson is a person who worked for Ted Cruz and then worked for President Trump and then suggested it was okay when President Trump implied that via national via the National Enquirer that Katrina Pearson had an affair with Ted Cruz. None of these people are real high on the credibility list. None of these people really like you wouldn't trust them to handle your finances. Like I, 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 I really, honest to God, I would not trust these people to handle my safety deposit box. And yet I'm supposed to believe that they have all of the all of the goods on on President Trump, or that I'm supposed to trust President Trump. Here is my view: When I can't trust anybody, I have to wait for evidence to come out. Otherwise, this is just a bunch of media nonsense. There's a reason, by the way, that Amarosa's book still hasn't reached number one on Amazon. It's because nobody believes anything she has to say. Even members of the media are looking at her and saying, "Yeah, this is this is not this is pretty weak stuff. Like this is pretty weak stuff." Okay, so now I want to talk in brief about the the Mueller investigation. So this is hysterically funny. Peter Strzok, you'll recall, is the charming and wonderfully smug fellow who appeared before Congress recently to talk about why he was such a good guy. He's such a good guy that Peter Strzok sent text messages to his lover. Both of them were married to other people at the time about why he didn't want President Trump to be president. He said he would stop President Trump from being president. In the t at that time, he was leading both the Hillary Clinton email investigation and the Russia investigation, which begs the question, or at least it prompts the question, as to was there only one employee at the FBI? Like, could they actually have hired somebody else to do something over there? Apparently, Peter Strzok was the entire show. In any case, Peter Strzok was texting about why Trump shouldn't be president at the same time he was investigating both presidential candidates. That, it turns out, is bad policy. Well, Strzok was fired yesterday from the FBI. He was fired because of those texts. And because the inspector general of the DOJ in his report found that he could not actually credibly clear Strzok of accusations of bias. He didn't know exactly how Strzok's bias had affected the investigation and he'd have to investigate that further. But Strzok had to go. So what did Strzok do? So Strzok gets fired and then his lawyer releases a statement saying that this is a political hit. Here is Strzok's lawyer from Vancouver Island apparently doing this via Skype because only the best. Uh, and uh, here he is on NBC News talking about why this is a political hit. Um, I don't think that you can rationally reach any conclusion other than uh, it was political. It's difficult to believe, given the steady drumbeat of text demonizing Pete from the president and uh, all the calls on Capitol Hill uh, by Republicans for Pete to be fired, that that didn't play a role. Okay, the reason he was fired is because the IG report said that Strzok's text, quote, potentially indicated or created the appearance that investigative decisions were impacted by bias or improper considerations. The IG report also said that Strzok's behavior was, quote, not only indicative of a biased state of mind, but even more seriously implies a willingness to take official action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral prospects. The report also found that Strzok's decision to prioritize the Russia investigation over the Hillary investigation could have been biased. It said, quote, under these circumstances, we did not have confidence that Strzok's decision to prioritize the Russia investigation over following up on the media-related investigative lead, that's the Hillary-related investigative lead, the Wiener computer, was free from bias. The report concluded Strzok's activities were, quote, antithetical to the core values of the FBI and the DOJ. Hard to claim that that is a political firing when the inspector general of the DOJ is openly saying that this guy basically destroyed any credibility he ever had. Okay, so what did Strzok do after he was fired? The first thing he did, because this is the stupid world we live in now, Peter Strzok immediately went to GoFundMe. No, I am not kidding. And then he started a GoFundMe to fund for his legal bills, even though he does not actually have legal bills. Within 24 hours, he had raised over a quarter million dollars for his legal defense fund because everything is stupid. So I just want to point out how dumb Democrats and leftists who are doing this are. In the last two years, they've made heroes out of James Comey, a man who undermined the credibility of, of the FBI and may very well have gotten Donald Trump elected. Remember, it was James Comey's reopening of the investigation into Hillary Clinton a week before the election that may have sunk her in the swing states just enough that she loses the election. They've made him into a hero, right? He is the leader of the resistance now. Now they're making Omarosa into the leader of the resistance. They've made Michael Avenatti a legitimate presidential candidate, the lawyer for a porn star. They've made him a legitimate presidential candidate based on the fact that his clients once had, once had sex with Trump during Shark Week. Like, that, that is it. legitimately, they're making Michael Avenatti, he's now running for president. He's in Iowa right now organizing. Seriously, they're not polling on him. By the way, he'll win a primary. Okay, if Michael Avenatti runs, he will win a primary because this is what Democrats are now. He's a more interesting and exciting candidate than Kamala Harris. Okay, and, and now they're also making a hero out of Peter Strzok, whose complete botchery 
of the Trump and Hillary investigations also probably led to Trump being elected. Remember, the only reason that Hillary Clinton's investigation was reopened that close to the election, even though the FBI knew about Wiener's laptop in late September, is because Peter Strzok decided to prioritize the Russia investigation over the Hillary investigation. And then by the time they got around to looking at the Hillary stuff, it was a week before the election, they had to reopen it. So the Democrats are now raising money for James Comey and Peter Strzok, two of the people that Hillary Clinton, I think, has the most right to blame for her gigantic electoral failure. So well done, Democrats. You guys are just, you're on top of it. You're, you're just on top of it, raising money for Peter Strzok. I'm sure he will use it to pad his latest love nest with the person he is not married to. He's just a delight. My goodness. Okay, but don't worry. Things get even stupider. They get even stupider. Just wait. We're going to talk about all the stupidity. First, we need to talk about your skill set. So you don't want to be one of these stupid people. You don't want to be one of these people whose chief qualification for being on TV is that you once brought a pen into the West Wing. You want to be somebody who actually has a skill set to share. And one of the ways that you can make your skill set better is by going over to Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, design, technology, and more. You can take classes in social media marketing, illustration, data science, mobile photography, creative writing, you name it. They've got an expert teaching a class on it. And whether you're trying to deepen that professional skill set or start a side hustle or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. So go check them out right now. We use Skillshare here at the offices. I've taken classes in social media monitoring and, and some data analysis. I've taken classes in watercolors because, hey, a dude's got to relax. You can go check it out over at Skillshare right now. And you get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents when you use Skillshare.com slash Shapiro. Again, Skillshare.com slash Shapiro to start your two months right now for just 99 cents. Once you start learning, you're not going to want to stop. Go check it out. Skillshare.com slash Shapiro right now for just 99 cents. You get two months of Skillshare. Skillshare.com slash Shapiro to let them know that we sent you. Okay, so as I say, things get even stupider than Peter Strzok starting a GoFundMe. How? How could they possibly get stupider, you ask? Aha, I'm so glad you asked. Here's how they get stupider. Roger Stone is now being investigated by the Mueller investigation. So the Mueller investigation is looking at Roger Stone. Why? Because Roger Stone was a go-between for WikiLeaks, right? He was hanging out with the WikiLeaks folks. There are a bunch of direct messages between him and WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks, of course, turns out to be a Russian front group coordinating closely with the Russian government in the release of Hillary Clinton's emails. So now the Mueller investigation is looking at whether maybe Roger Stone was working with WikiLeaks to funnel extra information from Hillary Clinton's hacked emails to the Trump campaign. That's basically what they are looking at. Well, the Daily Caller is reporting that Roger Stone is, is now the target of the witch hunt. And Roger Stone, who is legitimately just a dummy. I mean, really, a how do I know that Roger Stone is a dummy? You know, the guy with the giant tattoo of Nixon on his back? Well, there's that. We can start with the giant tattoo of Nixon on his back. But then there is also the fact that he tweeted out today, today, a graphic. I'm not kidding about this. Again, I have to, I have to keep clarifying that I'm not kidding because if you had told me this is what politics was going to be like when I got into it, I definitely would have gone, I would have gone and continued playing in a string quartet. Like, really. He, he tweeted this out. He actually put this out on Instagram. Okay, it is a picture of Sean Hannity, Mike Pence, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Roger Stone, Devin Nunes, Donald Trump, and Rudy Giuliani wearing uniforms that look like astronauts. And then it says below it, Space Force. In space, no one can hear you lie. They're all wearing patches in these uniforms of swastikas swastikas with a little rocket. And Roger Stone put this out says, I love this, proud to be in this crew, but the only lies being told are by liberal scumbags. Now, why, you ask, would Roger Stone tweet out a picture of himself wearing a swastika along with other members of the Trump administration and Sean Hannity? Because he's stupid. That's the answer. The answer is because he's a dum-dum. Okay, so Roger Stone has an op-ed over at the Daily Caller about why he is the target of the witch hunt. One of Stone's rules, he says, is the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Even I may have taken exception to that rule last Friday. Again, only the best people, only the best people were associated with, with the Trump campaign. And the reason this is irritating, folks, is because all of this is easily avoidable and continues to be easily avoidable. But we're not going to avoid it. We're going to steer directly into this crap storm. He says, if you followed the news last Friday, you know that my longtime friend Kristen Davis testified before special counsel Robert Mueller's grand jury that my longtime associate and wingman, Andrew Miller, was held in contempt for his refusal to testify for the grand jury, that a subpoena was dropped on Randy Credico, who, despite his public denials, was the source who first told me that WikiLeaks had the goods on Hillary and would release them in October. It was a deep state trifecta. Andrew Miller's contempt citation is a bit more complicated. His appeal may be problematic for Mueller down the road. 
Mueller is running a criminally abusive, constitutionally unaccountable, professionally and politically incestuous conspiracy of ethically conflicted cronies colluding to violate my fourth, fifth, sixth amendment rights and those of almost everyone who had any sort of political or personal association with me in the last 10 years. He has conducted a supposedly comprehensive investigation of a very narrow and limited issue as an open-ended, totally limitless grand prosecution with absolutely no articulable or even identifiable criminal predicate to substantiate it as a lawful investigation, even under ordinary circumstances. Well, I mean, they, you did brag that you were like best friends with WikiLeaks. I mean, there was that. And then you also bragged about how you were tight with Trump. So there was that as well. I mean, again, maybe Mueller finds nothing, but the the grand prosecution, how dare they target me, Roger Stone? I am clean as clean. No. Okay, so here he, he continues. He says, Mueller's team of partisan prosecutors seeks to prove the unprovable that I received allegedly hacked emails from the Russians or WikiLeaks and passed them on to Donald Trump. This threadbare false narrative is harped on endlessly by slugs at MSNBC and other despicable fake news outlets. Now, because of the accuracy of my tweets, in which I merely followed the tweets of WikiLeaks and the many public interviews of WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange, Mueller and his hitmen seek to frame some ludicrous charge of defrauding the United States. This, of course, is based on a false and unproven assumption that Assange is a Russian agent and WikiLeaks is a Russian front, neither of which has been proven in a court of law. Okay, so if his defense is that WikiLeaks is not a Russian front, good luck with that one. Good luck with that one, because it turns out the high level of coordination between WikiLeaks and the Russian government is obvious to anyone who's spent any time looking at this issue. Again, he maintains that, that WikiLeaks is some sort of independent agency. Now, maybe all of this comes to nothing, but the fact that Roger Stone is now being dragged into all of this demonstrates that the campaign had serious problems from the very start. Now, should any of this really impact the presidency? Should any of this really be of, of any sort of consequence to the Trump presidency? I, I don't think so. I, I really don't think any of this ends up being a big deal in the end. That said, I do think that things have become so stupid on every side that it's difficult to tell what is real from what is not. And when I say stupid on every side, I mean the, the, the left's perception of this case is just as stupid. So the Washington Post editorial board, for example, they say the only way for us to really believe that anyone is innocent in this case is for Trump to talk directly with Robert Mueller. And they write this whole editorial saying, there's no need to fear Mueller, Mr. President, if you've nothing to hide. Of course, that's not true. Okay, as a lawyer, that's not true. The first rule of lawyering is tell your client to shut his face. Really, that is the first rule of any sort of criminal lawyering. Shut your head. Don't talk. Okay, if I, it doesn't matter if you're innocent. It doesn't matter if you're guilty. Do not talk to the cops. It's actually the first rule of lawyering if they see you as a potential defendant, because all you can do is give them evidence that is going to either lead them down the path toward prosecuting you or is going to lead them to look into you more closely. Right? The fact is that if you want to convey something to the police, you can always do so through a lawyer. But if the police are bringing you in for an investigation, the chances that they're going to be asking you a bunch of questions to exonerate you is probably close to nil. Right? It's, 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 it's pretty low. And that's particularly true when you're talking about a political, politically oriented prosecution like Mueller. This idea that Trump should get in a room with Robert Mueller and that he has no risk at all if he just tells the truth First of all, Trump has a pathological problem with telling the straight truth, right? The guy exaggerates on a regular basis. And having uh, being a lawyer means taking things both literally and seriously. The case that's been made for Trump is that you're supposed to take things seriously, but not literally. Okay, that's a fair case. Selena Zito has made it ably. The idea that when Trump says stuff, we all just kind of go, yeah, he's exaggerating, but we know what he means, right? But we know what he means. In lawyer land, but we know what he means is not natural defense. In lawyer land, what you say is literally what you say, and we take it at face value. And that means that they'd be fools to actually put Trump in a room with Robert Mueller. But the Washington Post really wants it. They say this silly game has gone on far too long. The country was attacked. Mr. Mueller is trying to determine what happened. The president should be eager to help the country learn and move on. Instead, his lawyers have spent the summer hemming and hawing about the right circumstances for an interview. I don't remember the same sort of, uh, the same sort of mitigating feelings from the Washington Post with regard to President Trump testifying. I say, this summer has brought increasingly dire reminders that Russia interfered with the 2016 election and that it intends to continue meddling in the country's democracy. If Mr. Trump has done nothing wrong and intends to tell the truth, he should welcome Mr. Mueller's questioning and do everything possible to hasten the special counsel's final report. Okay, this is the same argument that if you have nothing to hide from the police, then they should be able to put a camera in your house. If you have nothing to worry about criminally, there's no reason you shouldn't allow the, the police to simply search your premises at any time. The whole point of restricting authority uh, is that authority can be abused and we don't necessarily have to we don't necessarily have to assume guilt in order to assume that that authority can be used to go after folks and that that's generally been true okay in just a second 
I want to talk about why exactly it would be foolish for the president to actually get in front of Mueller with some examples of President Trump being President Trump because he continues to be President Trump, which has upsides and it has downsides. But first, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com. First, let me announce, let me remind you, it's here. It's come. The time has finally come for me to take my podcast to live audiences. So tomorrow, Dallas, Texas, Wednesday, August 15th, in Phoenix, Arizona, Thursday the 16th, Seats are just about sold out. You can still get a few available tickets left. Go over to livenation.com or ticketmaster.com. Search Ben Shapiro so you don't miss it. Uh, and we are going to be doing a live podcast. We're going to be doing a Q&A. It's going to be a blast. Thousands of fellow Ben Shapiro show listeners are going to be there. Plus, I will be there as well because otherwise, why would you be there? So go check that out over at livenation.com or ticketmaster.com. Also, when you subscribe at dailywire.com, next time we have an event and we have a VIP section, you get the first available shot at that. And you also get to listen to the rest of the Andrew Clavin show live. You get to listen and, and watch the rest of the Michael Knowles show live. I thought he was fired. Unfortunately, he was not. Uh, so he retains that show. So go check that out. Also, if you get the annual subscription for $99 a year, it is cheaper than the monthly and you get the leftist tiers, hot or cold Tumblr. Everyone who tries this loves this thing. I mean, I just, I, I have not heard a single complaint about this from anyone except for Steven Crowder, legitimately. So go check that out right now. Also, subscribe over at YouTube or iTunes. We have a fantastic Sunday special coming up. Next Sunday special is just awesome. You're going to want to be a subscriber to check that out. We're the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. So the, the president of the United States, if everything feels chaotic, it's because everything just feels chaotic. And it's, it's highly irritating. It's got to stop. None of it is very helpful. The president has news cycles from here to the end of time that are, that are quite good for him, right? Like the economy is doing well. We don't have any major foreign crises. These, this is one of the things I keep emphasizing. If the president would just stay out of the news, everything would be better. Every time the president goes abroad and the media doesn't have anything to do but fulminate over, over nothing, his approval ratings go up. Instead, the president has a nasty habit of allowing his id to dominate how he approaches politics. And that makes it very hard for his fellow Congress, the Republican Congress people to get elected. I talk to Republicans who are running in races across the country on a routine basis. And the biggest single problem they have is that every election is no longer a referendum on them. It's a referendum on President Trump. And President Trump is not popular in a lot of swing districts. So for all the talk about Trump being litmus test for Republicans, I know a lot of Republicans are enthusiastic about that because Trump won in 2016. 2016, you may notice on the calendar, is not the same date as 2018, nor is it the same date as 2020. What the president does actually matters. And so when the president is petty, or when the president gets into Twitter spats with Omarosa, or when the president is just musing about Strzok and Page and all the rest of this stuff, is any of this stuff dramatically helpful? No, it's not. And an example yesterday of just, just how unhelpful this is. So President Trump, uh, he was announcing a win for him, okay? It is the John McCain National Defense Authorization Act. It is a massive increase in defense spending. That is a good thing. That is a win. It's something that he has touted for a very long time. All he has to do for the headline to be good is just be a normal human, like a normal, decent human. John McCain, as much as President Trump doesn't like John McCain, is indeed an American hero. Hey, John McCain underwent torture by the Viet Cong for years at a time, and then when he was offered his release, he refused his release on the grounds that he didn't want to leave his guys behind. For that alone, John McCain is, is an American hero. Forget all of his Senate service. Forget what you think about his politics. That, that was heroic stuff, and he's always been a, a strong advocate for the national defense community. So there's this bill. It's called the John S. McCain National Defense Authorization. Here was President Trump announcing the bill. You'll notice something missing in this announcement. In a few moments... In honor of that sacred obligation, I will put my signature on the National Defense Authorization Act. This authorization will give America's warfighters the firepower they need to win any conflict quickly and decisively. Okay, all of that's fine, except for him completely ignoring the name of the act. Right? He just completely ignores the name of the act. And so people jumped on this, as well they should, because it's kind of a garbagey thing to do. John McCain was one of the forces behind this act. And then later, he mocked McCain in front of a crowd while basically signing the bill. Just, just come on. We got rid of the individual mandate, which is the most unpopular aspect. I would have gotten rid of everything, but as you know, one of our, one of our wonderful senators said, thumbs down at 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so there he is mocking McCain the same day. Listen, it's fine to mock McCain for his political activity, but ignoring his name in the defense authorization bill is kind, of a, is kind of a crappy move. And this is the biggest problem for President Trump, really. 
He doesn't know his friends from his enemies. He doesn't know the people who want him to succeed from the people who don't want him to succeed. Okay, the fact is that he may not like John McCain, but when it comes to smacking John McCain, is that really an important thing for him to be doing? Or should he be saving his firepower for people who actually deserve it? So that was some bad Trump. Now here's some good Trump. Right? Here's President Trump going after Andrew Cuomo. Now Andrew Cuomo deserves every bit of scorn the president can, can utilize against him. If President Trump you know, leverages his fire against Andrew Cuomo, that is a valid use of time. So here is the president doing the right thing by attacking somebody who ought to be attacked. Cuomo wants to take away your Second Amendment. Now, he called me and he said, I'll never run for president against you. But maybe he wants to. Oh, please do it. Please. Please. Uh, he did say that. He did. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe he means it. The one thing we know, and they do say, anybody that runs against Trump suffers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is the part of Trump that's actually, first of all, it's very funny. But second of all, this is the part of Trump that's actually useful. Him attacking Democrats is useful. Him attacking people who are actively, you know, trying to run against him, that's a useful thing. What is not a useful thing is all of the distractions, is all of the foolishness with, with Omarosa. You know, the, there's been this take on, on President Trump all along. They get the good along with the bad. And that works until it doesn't. It works until it doesn't. People say, well, it helped him win in 2016. It did help him win in 2016. But you know what? He lost the popular vote by 3 million, and he barely won the election in the Electoral College. Right? He won three states by 80,000 combined votes. And if you think that the same formula is necessarily going to allow you to win in 2020, even as you've doubled down on all of the qualities that made you unpopular in the first place, I am skeptical. I'm just skeptical. Now, maybe Trump pulls it out. Right? Trump is very good at pulling his opponents down into the mud. This is what he is best at. And that's valid and that's useful. But if the president could get even a little bit more disciplined, he'd have a much better shot of maintaining Congress, maintaining the Senate, maintaining the presidency. If we lose the Congress, the Senate, and the presidency by 2020, people are going to look back and say, well, maybe all of that, the good comes along with the bad stuff. Maybe it would have been better if we had just gotten the good and not gotten a lot of the bad. I don't see why that's out of the realm of possibility or why that is being hypercritical of the president. I really don't think that it is. Now, speaking of, of Cuomo's who stink, Chris Cuomo on CNN, made a statement yesterday that is just astonishing. So as you've been following, we, we talked about it yesterday, the fizzled alt-right rally in Charlottesville. 25 people showed up, and then Antifa showed up by the hundreds and proceeded to attack. Some members of Antifa proceeded to attack the police. They were walking around chanting, uh, no, no borders, no wall, no USA at all. Really, really just wonderful, wonderful folks, Antifa. Going all the way back to 2016, before Trump was president, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, was suggesting that Antifa was actually a threat to security across the country at events across the country. Yet the media have been propping them up. And for all the talk about how the right needs to disassociate from the alt-right, how the right needs to basically disassociate from folks like Corey Stewart in Virginia. And I think there's a lot of validity to that. I think Corey Stewart has been race baiting for, for no reason other than political gain, and it's gross, in Virginia. For all the talk about how the right needs to get rid of the Steve Bannons and they need to get rid of the, the kind of alt-right soft players in the, in the right-wing movement, the left has embraced Antifa to far more of an extent than the right currently embraces the alt-right. There's just no question about this. And the latest proof of this is Chris Cuomo, who legitimately cannot bring himself to condemn Antifa, a violent terrorist group in the United States. Here is, here is Chris Cuomo, who is, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to say this, but he is the less bright Cuomo. It's, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that was possible. But here's Chris Cuomo actually saying on CNN that there is no moral equivalency between the Nazis and Antifa, between the alt-right and Antifa. Here's the argument. If you're a punk who comes to start trouble in a mask and hurt people, you're not about any virtuous cause. You're just somebody who's going to be held to the standard of doing something wrong. But when someone comes to call out bigots and it gets hot, even physical, are they equally wrong as the bigot they are fighting? I argue no. Okay, so he argues that Antifa is not as bad as the alt-righters, ignoring the fact that Antifa walks around shouting about how all cops are racist and about how the system has to be torn down, about how the United States should not exist. Okay, it is exactly this perspective on the part of the mainstream left that will lead to increased violence, really. It will lead to the, the belief that the mainstreaming of violence is okay. You label your opponents Nazis, and then you go out and you protest them. How do I know? Because Antifa actually tried to do the same thing at an actual speech that I was giving, okay? I was the number one target of the alt-right in 2016. There, was no more, there has been no more vocal voice against the alt-right in the United States than me. Okay, I've been doing this for years, ripping on them consistently. And yet Antifa was there at Berkeley trying to shut down my speech. Okay, but according to Chris Cuomo, they're just nice people, right? They're just trying to fight the fascism. The reality is that Antifa is an anarchist, communistic group, sort of anarcho-communists, and they have been pushing 
their radical politics for a while using violence, going all the way back really to the sort of the World Trade Organization protests in the 90s. There's a long lasting movement that spans from the WTO through Occupy Wall Street and now forward to Antifa. It's all part of a broader wave on the left. And the fact that the left still sees these people as fighting on the beaches of Normandy is astonishing. Remember, Chris Cuomo is the same idiot who when Antifa actually got violent, tweeted out a picture of the beaches at Normandy, of our guys getting off the beaches at Normandy and said, here's another group of anti-fascists fighting a group of fascists. And it's like, wait a second. So your suggestion is that, number one, American citizens exercising their right to free speech in the wrong cause is the same as Nazis who legitimately invaded several countries and perpetrated the Holocaust? Got a problem with that? Okay, that's why we have law enforcement in the United States to prevent bad stuff from happening. Second of all, if you really think that these idiot anarchists who are throwing bottles at cops are the same thing as American soldiers getting off the boats at Normandy to fight Nazis, you're out of your mind. There were no white supremacists who showed up two days ago. There were like 20 of them. But there were hundreds of Antifa members who were getting violent, shouting ridiculous things, and yet the media are defending them because the media has embraced full scale the reactionary politics that makes this country ugly. They've embraced it. And this is what we are now seeing. We are seeing politics ping-ponging forth, back and forth, between two reactionary points of view. You want to know how things actually get violent? You want to know how a peaceful country or a country that has a functioning democracy devolves into violence and sectarianism? The way it happens is you feel that your group is threatened by an outgroup, and so you start pursuing ever more radical methods of fighting that outgroup. And in response, the outgroup feels threatened by you, and they start pursuing ever more radical politics and violence as well. That's how things spiral out of control. And Chris Cuomo and folks like him who are pushing Antifa are only promoting that. They're only helping that case. It's really dangerous. They're playing with fire here. They're playing, if, if they had any sense and actually looked back at the history of Nazi Germany and pre-Nazi Germany, what they would have to recognize is that one of the things that led to the rise of the Nazis was the fact that there were actual near daily street fights between communists and brown shirts on the streets of pre-Nazi Germany, on the streets of the Weimar Republic that led to the rise of the Nazi government. That, that, that really is a deep part of the history the media wish to ignore simply because they want to claim that everybody on the right is evil uh, or anyone tangentially associated with the right is, is a Nazi, uh, but everybody on the left is actually good and noble and virtuous. Okay, time for some things I like, and then we'll do some things that I hate. So, things that I like. Uh, Greg Gutfeld does a great job over on The Five, and he has a brand new book called The Gutfeld Monologues. He has an essay at the very beginning that's really telling because Gutfeld took the same position I did in the 2016 election. He didn't vote for either of the candidates. And he talks about why that was, what has changed, what his view is on President Trump. And then what he does is he takes a lot of his old monologues and he does something that's really worthwhile, something I think that most commentators actually should do. He takes a lot of his old writings, and then he critiques his own, his own writings. Now, this is something that I did recently on The Daily Wire when I was you know, criticized for some stuff I'd written in the past. I felt like, okay, well, you know what? Why don't I go back and actually see if that stuff was bad or if it was good? And it turns out some of it was bad and some of it was good. Now, I would say the vast majority of what I've written over the course of my career, I'm proud of. But there are certain things that I've written that are just garbage. And Gutfeld does the same thing in the Gutfeld monologues. It's worth reading. It's a fun read. I think it was number five on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list this week. So go check it out. The Gutfeld Monologues with, uh, by, by Greg Gutfeld. Greg's also a really good guy. So go check that out. Uh, really, really nice guy. Okay, uh, time for, let's do some, let's do a bunch of stuff that I hate, like a lot of it. Okay, so this is just amazing and also amusing. I, I don't know whether I like this or whether I hate this. And it's sort of a deconstruction of the culture. So there's a new show on CW uh, about... Batwoman? Batwoman, right. Not Batgirl. Batwoman. Batgirl is, uh, is Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Batwoman is, the, is a police officer, I guess, like a former police officer. I'm trying to remember her backstory, uh, who ends up fighting crime alongside Batman. In the New 52 comics, which were released, what, in the last decade or so? In the New 52 series, they made her lesbian because when they launched New 52, they decided they were going to go broad scale diverse. So everybody was going to be a Muslim or black or gay because they wanted a broader spectrum of characters who are not all white, straight people. Okay, that's their creative decision. I would suggest that that creativity was drawn, was, was pushed less by character necessity than it was by a desire to be politically correct. If you read a lot of the New 52 comics, I've been critical of them for years because they've attempted to leverage left politics into comic books uh, in matters ranging from immigration to sexuality. They've had full comic books where Superman is, is fighting the, is basically a member of Antifa fighting the police or a member of Black Lives Matter. The New 52 has become very, very much to the left. In any case, the character of, of Batwoman has been a lesbian in the New 52 for probably a decade, close to a decade. And now they're making a series on CW about Batwoman. And so she is a lesbian, of course. Now, we'll see how that plays on network television, whether people are all that interested in watching 
uh, a character who is a, uh, a lesbian full-time? Maybe yes, maybe no. Who knows? Whatever. Not a huge deal. However, it was a huge deal to the left. Why was it a huge deal to the left? Because they insisted on the left that you needed a lesbian to play a lesbian. In the same way that you need a transgender person to play a transgender person and a cat woman to play cat woman. Like a woman who's a cat, you need to play an actual cat woman. You also need a lesbian to play a lesbian. So CW trying to hone in on that decided, you know what, why don't we cast Ruby Rose? So Ruby Rose, you'll remember maybe from the latest John Wick movie. Uh, I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff, but she's a decent actress. She, she plays Stolid really well. Uh, and she is bisexual. So she is not a full-scale lesbian. She, she calls herself gender fluid. So she is male some, she feels male some days and she feels, feels female others and she's bisexual and she's pansexual and all this kind of stuff. Okay, but here's the problem. Nobody on the right cares about this stuff, right? Nobody on the right is like, oh, that's just terrible. How did... Everyone on the left went nuts. She had to quit Twitter. Why did she quit Twitter? Because hilariously enough, the left decided she was not lesbian enough. She was bisexual, not a full-scale lesbian. And that meant she was just not enough of a lesbian for her to play the, the sainted character of Batwoman. According to the Washington Post, some corners of Twitter and Instagram are criticizing actors who have been cast to play gay characters on screen, leading one of them to abandon a platform. Over the weekend, Australian actress Ruby Rose quit Twitter and shut down public commenting on her Instagram account after receiving backlash over her being cast as Batwoman for Greg Berlanti's series of Arrowverse shows on CW. By the way, I believe Craig Berlanti is gay as well, so it's not like the guy doesn't have an interest in LGBT issues. Part of the fear is centered on representation of DC comic superhero who is a lesbian. And the, the actress tweeted, where on earth did Ruby is not a lesbian, therefore she can't be Batwoman come from, has to be the funniest, most ridiculous thing I've ever read. I came out at 12 and have for the past five years had to deal with the she's too gay. How do you all flip it like that? She says, I didn't change. I wish we would all support each other in our journeys. She says that she is identified as gender fluid. And she's, I guess, also on Orange is the New Black. Um, and, uh, you know, Janelle Monet came out in her favor. I guess Janelle Monet is also lesbian or bisexual. I, mean, I can't remember her sexuality, because I frankly don't care at all. But I, what I love is the fact that she is gender fluid, so she's not gay enough. Also, the character is Jewish, but Ruby, Ruby Rose isn't Jewish, so I guess that she can't play a Jewish person. I guess Sheldon Cooper can no longer play a, a straight person because the character, the guy who plays Sheldon Cooper on Big Bang Theory is actually a gay guy, right? So he can't play a straight person. I guess that uh, Eric Stone Street, who plays Cam on Modern Family and is actually a straight guy, he can no longer play a gay guy. Nobody can play anything they're not. Actors have to be the actual parts. Every TV show now has to be a reality show. Superman actually has to be able to fly. Uh, so it's going to make casting really, really difficult. There are a lot of people who wanted to see a Ashley Platt get the role, I guess, uh, because she's a lesbian. So I guess she's more lesbian. So now we're having lesbian competitions. I, I will say that I may put this in things that I like because I, I really am enjoying a, uh, I really am enjoying a lot. The left eating its own. It's pretty. It's pretty spectacular. Watching the left think that it is not leftist enough. So that that's pretty great. Okay. Uh, another thing that I hate. So Politico has an article from Stephen Miller's uncle, because this is the thing that we're going to do now. We're going to go find every relative who doesn't like you and have them write op-eds. So Stephen Miller is, of course, the very anti-immigration, both illegal and legal immigration guy. In the Trump administration, he was the top legislative aide to Jeff Sessions, who's sort of his top strategist. Uh, and I remember being at a dinner with Ann Coulter and Stephen Miller and Jeff Sessions in which they discussed immigration for like three hours uh, while everyone else is bored out of their skull. So this has been Stephen Miller's bag for a very long time. Well, now his uncle is getting in on the act. He writes a piece for Politico in which he talks about how Stephen Miller is just wrong about this. He says, let me tell you a story about Stephen Miller and chain migration. It begins at the turn of the 20th century in a dirt floor shack in the village of Antipal, a shtetl of subsistence farmers in what is now Belarus. Beset by violent anti-Jewish pogroms, forced childhood conscription in the Tsar's army, the patriarch of the shack, Wolflieb Glosser, fled a village where his forebears had lived for centuries and took his chances in America. He set foot on Ellis Island on January 7th, 1903, with eight bucks to his name. Though fluent in Polish, Russian, and Yiddish, he understood no English. An elder son, Nathan, soon followed. By street corner peddling and sweatshop toil, Wolflieb and Nathan sent enough money home to pay off debts and buy the immediate family's passage to America in 1906. And these would, of course, be the eventual great-grandparents of Stephen Miller, great-great-grandparents of Stephen Miller. So Izzy Glosser is his maternal grandfather. Stephen's mother, Miriam, is my sister. I have watched with dismay and increasing horror as my nephew, an educated man who is well aware of his heritage, has become the architect of immigration policies that repudiate the very foundation of our family's life in this country. Okay, so here's the part about this I don't like. You want to make an immigration argument? Fine. You want to suggest that our immigration policies are too restrictive on legal immigration? I'm actually interested in hearing that argument because I think that there are good arguments to be made on both sides of that particular issue. 
if you want to make the case that relatives of politically popular figures are now authorities on what those politically popular figures should be saying, I got a problem with that. Like, are we going to, is family off limits or is family not off limits? I mean, this is a serious question because what we heard for years is that Chelsea Clinton was off limits until she wasn't off limits. And now she's off limits again, I guess, because Hillary is no longer politically active. When are relatives off limits? Like when they decide to be off limits or when they don't decide to be off limits? And beyond that, I don't know why we care what Stephen Miller's uncle has to say about things. And why would that possibly matter? I have lots of relatives. I disagree with the vast majority of them on politics. I'm a Jew. That means most of my relatives are on the left. Does that mean that my uncles and aunts have some sort of deeply valuable perspective on my heritage that I do not, you know, because I have parents who are part of that heritage as well. I find all this incredibly stupid, but the left has no rules when it comes to attacking folks on the right. Uh, and so we're going to dig up random relatives to go after people. All of that is incredibly dumb. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow and we will be broadcasting from Dallas. So go check out our event. If you are in Dallas, I believe there are a few tickets left. Go over to Live Nation or Ticketmaster and get a few of the remaining tickets. If you're in Phoenix, then the following day, we are going to be broadcasting from there as well. So go check that out. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Carmina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 